Big smiles? No? Yep. A couple of smiles. How are we all doing? All good? It is still morning. It is only 11 a.m., so that's not too bad, is it? Amen. How about we stand to our feet for a moment? Just uh, let me read a passage of Scripture before we get into our service. Just uh, along the lines of what Jamie was sharing. Well done, Jamie. It was uh, very good, my friend. Well thought this morning. Uh, I think I'm on. Here we go. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, and I'll just pick up from verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Everyone say alive. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all, everyone say all, our trespasses. By cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in Jesus. Amen. He put them to open shame. You've been completely forgiven. Your trespasses are completely dealt with, being nailed to the cross. And he has disarmed every ruler and authority in the spiritual realm over you, shaming them by triumphing over them at the cross. Isn't that a good word? I love the Apostle Paul and what he shares there. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we stand triumphant in you. We thank you that it's from this place that we seek to understand more of what you're saying and what you're doing in our seasons as they change and shift with your call. We invite you by the Holy Spirit to speak to us today in our service as you already have through our worship time in music and song with you. Lord, speak to us through your word. In your mighty name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Please stay standard. Just for, stay standing, standard, standing for a moment as I just read this poem for you. And uh, we had, it is Anzac Day, isn't it? And it's a good time to reflect and remember and commemorate. I want to read a poem to begin. <clears throat> the Anzac Day march was over. The old digger had done his best. His body ached from marching. It was time to sit and rest. He made his way to a park bench and sat with lowered head. A young boy passing saw him, approached and politely said, Please, sir, do you mind if I ask you what the medals you wear are for? Did you get them for being a hero when fighting in a war? Startled, the old digger moved over and beckoned the boy to sit. Eagerly, the lad accepted he had not expected this. First of all, I was not a hero, said the old digger in solemn tone. But I served with many heroes, the ones that never came home. So when you talk of heroes, it's important to understand the greatest of all heroes gave their lives defending this land. The medals are worn in their honour as a symbol of respect. All diggers wear them on Anzac Day. It shows they don't forget. The old digger then climbed to his feet and asked the boy to stand. Carefully, he removed the medals and placed them in his hand. He told him he could keep them to treasure throughout his life, a legacy of a kind left behind, paid for in sacrifice. Overwhelmed, the young boy was speechless. He couldn't find words to say. It was there the old digger left him, going quietly on his way. 
In the distance, the young boy glimpsed him, saw him turn and wave goodbye. Saddened, he sat alone on the bench, tears welled in his eyes. He never again saw him ever, but still remembers with pride when the old digger told him of heroes and a young boy sat and cried. Poem written by Clyde Hamilton. You may take your seats. Praise the Lord. 1914 was a very different time, a different era. 106 years ago, it works 107 years ago, really. Uh, 2021 is a, it's a very different time. Is there anyone here that witnessed the, the times of 114, uh, 1914? No? Right. So that means it's all a bygone era, right? It's something that we, we are not old enough to have witnessed. We haven't seen with our own eyes. We can only remember and reminisce from the stories that have come from those of our loved ones that have gone, been and gone before us. Or uh, through poetry or through readings or even today as movies and documentaries depict those times for us. 1914 was a very different time, wasn't it? And really, it was a time that um, Australia was a really different country. <clears throat> you know, I'm only 40... One years old, and, and I have no reference for 1914. So I feel for the young guys coming after me, the young ladies, the young men. You know, and I've got to do my best to try and help them understand the nation's history and the, the things that were won on our behalf and therefore moving into the future generations. And that's where we stand when it comes to the church. It's where we stand when it comes to Christianity. It's where we stand when we try and bring forth the, the message of Jesus, the, the God who is ever present, the God who is and who was and who is to come, amen? That's what we're doing is we're trying to unpack. And for us, 1914, uh, Australia was a fledgling nation in relation to federation. Now, while we, recommend, uh, while we acknowledge and we, and, and we, we honour the, the, the First Nations people that gone before us and that are here today and are represented in our, in our midst today, federation came around in 1901, and Australia, the nation, was born under one flag and one banner. And there it is. In 1914, we were a fledgling nation, 13 years old. It's almost like a coming of age for this young nation. You know, 12, 13 years old, as teenagers transition from childhood and begin to become adults, those sorts of things begin to change. And 13, 12 and 13 is a very interesting age. And that's what it was like for this young nation called Australia. <clears throat> It was at the age of 13, Australia became known on the world stage. Britain had just declared war in August of 1914. Australia and New Zealand, both part of the Commonwealth, was called upon as the world, as they knew it, was about to erupt. And under one nation, one banner, one flag, people of Australia, of all different cultures, gathered together to fight for this nation that was brought together. The Great War, as it is known today, saw the Anzac spirit of the Aussies and Kiwis forged in terror. Courage, sacrifice and mateship was birthed as the Larrikan Aussies and their, their neighbours across the ditch arrived on the front lines. April 25th, 1915, just fast forward only a few months later, the orders were to storm the beach of Gallipoli in Turkey. Over two days, 20,000 Anzac troops landed at Anzac Cove to the terrifying defences of a machine gun and a terrain that meant that they would have to scale the cliffs 
is to move forward and make any sort of advance. Eight months later, after living hell on earth, the surviving forces were evacuated with over 10,000 Anzacs killed and 23,000 injured and maimed. You look at that today and you've got a road running there, but could you imagine what it was like over 100 years ago? 106 years ago to this day, and that, that would have been a place of terror at the breaking of dawn. Storm, storming the, the, the beach as, as machine gun fire was hailing down on them. Ellie Griffiths wrote in a recent article I found online, it was called The Significance of Anzac Day, Lest We Forget. And it's in the vein of understanding Australia as a new nation, as a, as a nation in federation, as a nation that was only young and 13 years old. Again, not to not, to not mention that Australia as a continent, as a, as a country, was already inhabited. Not to undermine that in any way, shape or form, but from a federation point of view, this is what she writes. It is here at the Gallipoli campaign that started the beginning of a true Australian nationhood. Prior to this, white Australians had believed they had no history, claiming it was not a true nation yet. As a new nation, this day, the day they were finally a part of something of a greater scale, was a defining moment that showed just how strong this nation would one day become. Although the Anzacs were not triumphant in victory, the courage and endurance these soldiers displayed was held high naming these soldiers as Anzac legends alongside the death and despair caused by unsuccessful strategic plans from the British. An interesting depiction, isn't it? Unless we forget their sacrifice on that day and those many months of fighting in a land that seemed harsh and unreachable. Today I want to kind of take a few of these stories from the Anzac and then draw a line and parallel them to the word of God and what he has achieved on our behalf. So, so if you allow me to just to open these up a little bit uh, to help us understand that God has been in the journey of Australia and of our lives and that should build hope in us at all times. So I'm inspired by the stories of the Anzacs, not because we glorify war, but because the courage and sacrifice that was made to see a world free from tyranny. And I'm proud that as a nation we came of age under fire and held our own. While Gallipoli was a battle that was lost, there are many other triumphs that our ancestors had on the battlefield where mateship and courage was seen. None more famous these days than the battle for Beersheba. The wells of Abraham that would, would provide much needed water. You think about how that water had, had, had um, watered the flocks of Abraham of Isaac and Jacob, how that water had, had blessed the nation of Israel, how that water had, had blessed many nations passing and going by, how the covenant God met with Abraham and formed a covenant with him in that place, and how that covenant was reminded as Abraham redug those wells from his enemy, filling them in again. You think about that water and, and how important it must have been in the desert that, that was set, the setting was. And now you put an army combined army together, united in that desert place and how important that water was. That water was to provide much needed relief 
were up to, to 60,000 troops who were currently marching, British troops in the desert, toward that place. That water was supposed to bring relief to the whalers, the horses of, of the, the light horse of Australia. That, that water was to, to bring cool, cooling to the machinery of war over the time. You can't run machines without water and keeping them cool. That water was really strategic in that time. Beersheba was held with a 27-mile defensive front of Turkish Ottoman who were supported by seasoned German Asia Corps troops and significant artillery and machine gun resources. On two previous occasions, the British had tried to take Palestine and failed. Requiring Gaza for strategic purposes and now water was necessary and Beersheba, well, they held 17 wells in that one town linked to the ancient town of old and all linked to our ancestor, a common ancestor under Christ and that is Abraham and the covenantal God. The operations of this, this attack began at dawn on October 31, 1917 when Allied forces attacked and systematically captured key strategic Turkish positions around Beersheba. By late afternoon, However, the town itself remained firm in enemy hands. Knowing that success depended on seizing Beersheba the same day, Australian Lieutenant General Sir, Harold, or sorry, Sir Harry Chauvel, commanding the Desert Mounted Corps, ordered the 4th Light Horse Brigade to circle around to the rear. From there, they were to stage a mounted attack and capture the town along with its 17 vital wells. Chauvel's orders were simple. A, attack Beersheba from the east so as to envelope the enemy's left rear. And B, seize as much water supply as possible in order to form a base for future operations northward. The, the 4th Australian uh, Light Horse Brigade was the Victorian Regiment. The, set, the, the 12th Light Horse Brigade was the New South Welshman. And they came together and at daylight, as the daylight began to turn, as the dusk was setting in, 800 Aussies charged the three miles of open land between them and the Turkish defences. Bayonets drawn, they went to what can only be assumed as certain death. Their horses fast, they got through the artillery fire with limited loss. That in itself is a miracle. You can understand as their courage grew, as they were riding those whalers, those horses that were charging into battle, you can understand how once they dodged the artillery fire, they thought, we've, we've got a chance here. With 800 metres to go, they forced more than... They faced more than five machine guns and countless rifles. But the enemy forgot to adjust their sights below the 800 mark. They were firing high. A machine gun rained fire down on the 12th and then fire from British artillery found its mark. It was gone. One lone soldier stuck to the plan, which was usually to dismount around 100 yards to the fortified trenches. But the rest rode over, jumping over those trenches on their horses, 
landing amidst what was to be a hand-to-hand contact, combat. Around 1,100 enemy soldiers in the trenches, the Aussies no longer had room for fear. Bathsheba was taken. The orders by the enemy was to destroy the wells, and yet only two of the 17 were lost. Surprised at the courage of the light horse, the Ottoman were defeated. Interestingly, you would think under that amount of fire, under that amount of um, being um, dug in and the defence lines that were held to hold this strategic point, interestingly, the lives of 36 men were sacrificed on that day and 31 were injured. One could only say that this order was crazy, yet amongst a crazy order we see great courage And it's in the place of courage that we see miracles are seen. I cannot help but be inspired by the story of sacrifice. Another story is one that doesn't necessarily glorify war the same way that the Aussie light horse story does. While that was a triumph, we can also see how war is seen from the other side in the perspective of, say, the medical corps. This story of Gallipoli is one that is counter to fighting. It's the story of Private John Simpson. Again, we see great courage in the presence of an enemy. John Simpson Kirkpatrick, originally in the British Merchant Navy, became a deserter when in Newcastle, Australia, he saw the Green Hills and decided that's where I'm going to stay. Four to five years, he tramped around Australia working and writing to his family back in Britain and sending uh, money back home to his mother. Then in Western Australia, as war broke out, he joined the Australian Imperial Forces, thinking it would be his ticket home to Britain. Private John Simpson was allotted the 3rd Field Ambulance, Australian Army Medical Corps. He embarked from Fremantle on the 2nd of November for Egypt. He enlisted as John Simpson, dropping his last name. Obviously, he didn't want to be caught out for being a deserter. Private Simpson landed on Gallipoli with the covering force at dawn on 25th of April 1915 and quickly befriended a donkey called variously different names, these three. First, Abdul, second, Murphy, and finally, or usually, they would call their donkey Duffy, this donkey Duffy. As he befriended a donkey, it was for the purpose of carrying leg wounds, um, leg, leg wounded casualties to the dressing station. Day and night he worked cheerfully and unconcerned amid fierce shrapnel and rifle fire, carrying the wounded from the head of Manish Valley, Monash Valley down Shrapnel Gully to the beach. So valued was his work that he was allowed to operate separately, camping with his donkey at the Indian Mule Camp. He was known to his fellow diggers as Murphy, Scotty, Simi, or simply the bloke with the donk. His name immediately became a byword for courage. The Indian troops called him Bahadur, meaning bravest of the brave. Why? Because he entered the battlefield with nothing but his donkey and no weapon to carry. His inspirational work and good fortune, however, were to be short-lived. On May 19... 
He was shot through the heart in Monash Valley and buried on the beach at Hell Spit. He was mentioned in orders of the day and the dispatches and in dispatches, and though recommended, he received no bravery award. You might see his um, bronze statue at the Canberra War Museum or even down at the uh, Shrine of Remembrance in Melbourne. Speaking about the bloke with the donk, I'm reminded of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. For as inspiring as the stories of our nation's beginning are, how we went to war and how, with God's help, Bathsheba was taken, paving the way for the reinstating of a nation known as Israel some 30 years later. The sacrifice of these men and women in the wars of our times speak of courage that is not of their own, but one that resembles the courage of Christ. Fighting for their nation and our freedom, the Anzacs went to thinking, uh, went not thinking of themselves, but in fact thinking of their homeland, thinking of their families, thinking of those that they were to save. Jesus, who is God and who represents God's favour toward humanity, chose to lay down his splendour and come to a place, a people who did not know him, and Jesus entered the battle humanity. Philippians 2, 6-8 says, Who, speaking of Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus looked upon the sins of humanity, knowing the beginning from the end. All, and all the terror that happens in between creation and his second coming. Jesus knows it all. And yet he still chose to enter this world, subjecting himself to the temptations of humanity. Surrendering himself to the purposes of God. Yet he overcome them and still chose to face the cross. Jesus' moment of decision, that place, that famous story in Gethsemane, when he's there in the garden and he talks to his apostles and and he says to them, can you not pray with me one hour? And he goes and prays and, and he comes back and they're asleep. Because often we fall asleep, don't we? In that moment, in that place, Jesus is like, can you not pray with me? And he goes again, and, and in that place, he, it's a moment of decision. Is Jesus to take upon himself this sacrifice, or is he to walk away, as John would put it, and to f- remain forevermore, but to remain alone? It was in this moment that Jesus made a decision to say, yes, Father, not my will, but your will be done. The same as all of those men and women that have fought for this country and for the freedom that we so wonderfully enjoy today. The same as those of you who make sacrifice upon sacrifice upon sacrifice to see your family or your friends blessed. It was Jesus' moment in that garden where he said, not my will, Father, but yours be done. It was in that moment a decision was made. One day he rides into Jerusalem triumphant on a donkey, 
hailed as king, only to be taken the next, mocked, tried, and beaten for you and for me. That same day, he was strapped to a whipping post where he took the blows of the cat of nine's tails for you, for me. Surrendering to the will of his father brought all sorts of pain, yet he did so for the will of the kingdom. Jesus was stripped bare and humiliated on our behalf. Today I hear the sound of the lone bugler, and while I commemorate and remember the sacrifice of those who went to war, so that I don't have to, one stands taller in my life and hopefully in yours. One sacrifice stands out from the crowd as one I can follow, as one we can get behind, as one that is worth proclaiming to the ends of the earth, one I can give my life to make known, one that I and hopefully you are able to give everything for so that others can enjoy the freedom that we have in him. He is Jesus, and he leads us to the promise and the promises of God. He ushers in the kingdom, and by, this, and by the gift of the Holy Spirit, whom he gives to all who asks, he offers an eternity with him in a place where there will be no more suffering. In the transition of surrender and sacrifice and the look at Jesus who is the perfect picture of both. I shift to make the proclamation that we are at war today. And all, all of us, our sacrifice is called for. Thankfully, it is not one that has weapons that draw blood but they are weapons that are so much mightier than the sword or the gun or the artillery. They are weapons of love, of joy, of peace. They are weapons that cause patience in times of anxiety and anxious thoughts of the season we're in. They are all things that reveal the benefits of the kingdom to come. Romans 12.1 tells us in the language of war that Paul writes, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Praise the God we have a, a life that is eternal. Praise the Lord God that we have a life that while it might end in this place in Australia or across the world, it might end in this world. Our lives go beyond this moment. They go beyond the 70 or 80 years that we might have in this world. Our lives are in eternal sense. And God is saying it's time to lay down our lives as a living sacrifice for him. Holy and acceptable to God. Praise the Lord. He makes us holy by the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And he says, this is our spiritual worship. Church, we're at war with a kingdom that is already defeated. I'll say that again. We are at war with a kingdom that is already defeated. Darkness can never overcome light. 
If all darkness is, is the absence of light, then all we need to do is shine the light of Jesus and his word into the darkness to overcome it. We have nothing to fear when we think of darkness. Secondly, we're at war with the flesh. While I might talk about the war of the spirit, we're also at war in the flesh. Because the flesh is that which keeps us playing around these things in this world, keeping us from growing up into the fullness of Christ and his calling. Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit. He takes up residence in us when we call upon the name of God, when we call upon Jesus himself. It's the Holy Spirit he gives us. It's the Holy Spirit he gives us. Holiness is a portion of the Spirit in our lives. And if we allow that to work through and have His effect in us, the flesh is overcome. That's a shift of the mind. It's a shifting of allowing that which is reality in the kingdom of God, which when God raised Jesus from the dead and I put my faith in that, my spirit came alive. I am reborn after Jesus and His Spirit lives with my spirit. And it's a shifting that no longer is this thing dominant, my brain, my mind, my, my emotions. And it's no longer are they dominant. It's actually I have to allow the spirit of God who is causing my spirit to be alive to become the reality of my life. Does that make sense? So our battle of the flesh, we keep it in the mind because we say, well, that's the battle of the flesh. That's the battle. The, battle, the mind is the battlefield, but it's not. Because we step away from the battle every time we turn to the Spirit. Because it's in the Spirit that God calls us holy. It's within the Spirit that God calls us righteous. It's within the Spirit that we need to allow these things to overflow and to overcome and to renew the mind. The same as darkness is overcome by bringing in light, is the same the flesh is overcome by realigning an understanding that we are spirit first, not body or mind first. The battle is waged. If I want to gratify the flesh, then I am, I, I, I am in a position where I am more for the flesh and my spirit is overcome. But if I am about Jesus and his business... My desire, my decision, the thing of my will is to say I align with what God says about me in my spirit. And that which is to overflow me overcomes that which I desire. It's in that place that we wage war. It's in that place that we walk from not seeking victory, but realizing we walk from victory. We're at war, thirdly, with a society that calls evil good. And yet the only answer for Christ's, the only answer for this world is that Christ's burning ones are to rise up and declare the grace of God and offer agape love or unreasonable love into a hurting world. The only thing that's going to change the world is extravagant and unreasonable love, not because they deserve it, but because Jesus modeled it. 
And if Jesus is able to model it, the only thing that's going to speak into the darkness and into the the flesh and into those who are under its power is love. Nothing else. You You can fight the battle on the front that you need to, but I tell you, you will win by revealing love. We are Christ's burning ones. I mean, we should reveal the burning love of God. This to me is the spirit of Anzac. While 100 plus years ago the young men of our nation fought for freedom, today the battle rages the same. Our commitment, our sacrifice, our life devoted to Jesus, the one who gave it all for us, so that we could be reconciled to the Father is the only answer in this war that rages for humanity. Church, I want to declare something today, and I want you to hear the heart of this. And I want you to take it home, and I would ask that you would reflect upon it. Today I declare boldly that I want to say welcome to the war room. This is not an auditorium, it's not a sanctuary, it's not a place where you come to have your needs met. That's what the body is for, absolutely. But this place is for strategy. This place is to wage war in the worship and the praise and the prayers of the unified saints. When you pray and you ask God to reveal that to you, it shifts something in your thinking. And it lines you up with the purposes of Jesus. It lines you up with that which was seen in the early church. It lines you up with that which is why the martyrs would lay their life down for Jesus. I don't know if you've ever thought of that. What is it that caused not just the disciples, but thousands upon thousands and even more today than as ever before would lay their life down for the cause of the gospel? I don't understand in myself, but when I put it together that they understand that they are called to something that they do not understand and that they come from victory, and that's the battle for humanity. So welcome to the war room, a place of battle in worship and prayer, where we're walking in the promises of God, partnering with the Holy Spirit as co-heirs with Jesus Christ, a place where we say yes to Jesus, a place where we come to hear the strategies of heaven in bringing the reconciliation of God to the people of our city and beyond. And just as those young Australians did back then, we will charge into the battle with the strategies of heaven to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let that be the basis of our prayers as the Lord leads us into this season. I'm praying that Every time someone walks in that door, they will sense the shift. I'm praying that between that room and this room, there will be a tangible presence of the Holy Spirit where you will fall down under his authority and power and love. I'm praying that you will receive in the prophetic strategies of how to see marriages restored, see um, hearts changed, see lives fixed, see disease broken, to see sicknesses completely cancelled, to see labels upon you 
that the doctors and that have put upon you and, and get to give you understanding while they are important, I'm believing that God's label is the label that you need. The label of redemption, the label of chosen, the label of loved, the label of co-heir in Christ. They're the things that this place need tangibly to be felt, to see an army of the Lord rise up. The picture, of, the picture that the Matrix, the movie, gives. I don't know if anyone's seen the movie. But there is a, there is a redemptive story in the, in the story of the Matrix. And it's seen very quickly and very simply in many of the facets. But there's one facet. You don't know what you don't know, right? And when, when Neo is offered the red pill or the blue pill, whichever one he takes, it's his choice. You don't know what you don't know. What he knew of the matrix was that everything was bliss. He could chew on a nice steak, he could work, he could do all sorts of things. It was world as we know it today. But when he, he took the pill that would open up his mind, what he was opened up to was that there was a reality that he was a battery in a farmed area that was keeping the machine alive. And when he was released from that, he was rejected from the battery and he was, he was actually living in the real world. And the real world was a battle for humanity. And that's what we're living in. You didn't know when you said yes to Jesus that you were entering a battle. But Jesus won that battle already in your behalf. And now we partner with him to say, you know what? I have the privilege to take up arms and to go into the battle and share the gospel of love and to share the light of Christ and to see others set free from the matrix. Does that make sense? That that while they're living in the machine, they don't even know what they don't even know. They don't know that they're calling evil good. They don't know it. But we do, because we live enlightened. We live under the power of God. We live with the grace of the Word of God, and we live in the Spirit. And when we live in the Spirit, we see things in the Spirit, and the flesh is no longer strong. I don't know about you, but I'm encouraged by the words of Revelation 19. And uh, Revelation 19 depicts the war that we're in. And however you look at Revelation, that's between you and God. But there's one thing about Revelation, and it reveals the risen King. It reveals the triumphant victory that we have as the church. And reveals how a unified body working together is to be victorious in its location, as God has called it. When we look at the seven churches that, that the Spirit of God addresses, or the Spirit of Jesus addresses, and He says, this I have against you, or this I have for you, all of those things, they're all clues for us to understand as a body. And I don't want to be like that church that has forgotten their first love. That's what the war room's all about. The, the Bible says that God will inhabit the praises of his people. So praise is to be upon our lips, in the individual, in our homes, and more importantly, collectively as a body in this place. God inhabits those praises. Praise bring, lifts us up into the courts of God. An attitude of thanksgiving keeps us before him. All of these things that God is doing and has made abundantly clear, they're the simplest things to do in your battle. 
That song, This Is How I Fight My Battle, is a pretty cool song, right? I fight it on my knees. I fight it in prayer. And while I can take that individually as a person, this is how I fight my battles as a church, together, unified, revealing faith, hope and love, moving in the purposes of God with the praise and worship of his people at the front and the prayer of his warriors walking with. This is how I fight my battle. Revelation 19, 11 to 21. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he excuse me, judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has the name written that no one but he knows, no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, this is you and I, white and pure, we're following him on white horses. I haven't ridden a horse for a long time. I can't wait for this day, right? This is us now. We have to understand this is the revelation of God for now. This is not just for the future. This is now. We ride with him. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule, rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, the, might, the flesh of mighty men flesh of horses and their riders and the flesh of all men both free and slave both small and great and i saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army and the beast was captured praise the lord i believe this is done in the cross and the beast was captured and with it the false prophets who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Depicts a mighty battle, a mighty war one that is raging currently and one that we know will culminate at that time. The time is nigh. The, the battle is upon us. Jesus rides in, King of kings, Lord of lords, and upon us, dressed in robes of fine white linen, I see the wind of the Holy Ghost, the battle cry of his people and the praises and worship of an army of the Lord. If we have chosen Jesus, we have been born into a war. It is that simple. Just like being freed from the matrix, as I said before. And yet, our weapons are not carnal. It is not with AR-15s that we run into the battlefront. It is with something more mighty. 
2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 4 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Just like that stronghold at Beersheba. Ephesians 6 is a, another passage where we see this depicted in the weapons of our warfare, or in fact, the armor of God is more a better way of putting that. But I like to pick up just a couple of verses. Verse 16. In all circumstances, everyone say all circumstances. In all circumstances. It's a very, very important thing. In all circumstances, no matter what's coming against you, no matter whether it's an individual problem, a family problem, or a body problem, in all circumstances. When, when Paul writes, in all circumstances, we have to understand it's all circumstances. Can I, can I say that enough? In, in all circumstances. If someone's saying something about you, in all circumstances. If you don't agree with someone, in all circumstances. Does this make sense? In all circumstances, Paul writes, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Isn't that interesting? You might not see it spiritually, but there's still a spiritual note to what you're going through. So in all circumstances, the answer is to take up the shield of faith, that is to look to Jesus the author and perfecter of your faith. And to take it up strong because it is a defense that, that you cannot be taken out of his hand. In all circumstances, take up your shield of faith to quench the fiery arts, darts of the enemy. So if you choose to look at your, your problem with a perspective of faith, it changes your problem because Jesus is the answer. So in all circumstances, take up your faith, your shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. How important is, this, is it to understand that that is secured right there? The helmet of salvation, that we need to renew the mind and understand how important salvation is for us. How important it is to remind ourselves time after time after time again that I am a son or a daughter of God, that I am the righteousness of Christ that I have the mind of Christ, that I am saved in him. And when I realize that I'm saved in someone who is incorruptible, then I realize my salvation is true. And the sword of the Spirit, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Dust off your Bibles. Pull them out. It's time to read them. Pull them out. It's time to read them. Sharpen your sword. Renew the mind. Allow that to challenge that which the Holy Spirit is speaking into your heart. But I love this. This is really timely for the season we are in. Verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit. I'll say it again, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Apart from the Word of God, this is the only other weapon that is part of this armor. The Word of God is a sword, praying in the Spirit. Spirit at all times is also part of your warfare. You don't, might not have a reference for that. Let me put that in a very simple way. That is praying in a tongue you do not understand. 
that is praying in other tongues. It is the heavenly prayer language that no one can understand but you, your spirit, sorry, and the Father in heaven. Isn't that important to understand? That no enemy can understand the strategies that come when I'm praying in the spirit. As the spirit makes it available and he intercedes on my behalf, praying through Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, what it does to me is it opens up the strategies of heaven. And it gives me victory and it helps me to overcome and it helps me to walk forward. How important is it? It's no wonder praying in the spirit and speaking in other tongues has been under attack in church history. Because it's a powerful weapon to see the church move forward and for his kingdom to come. Church, there are so many things we can learn from just these small passages that I've shared today. Can we stand together? As we stand, let us remember we stand in the peace of God. We stand with his righteousness. We stand in truth and we stand in faith. My question, will we partner with him in sharing the gospel? Because all of those things are well and good for us as an individual. But when we partner with God at the level of the body and church as an army, what we understand is that to advance, it's about sharing the gospel, partnering with him in sharing the gospel. Will we read his word? Will we stand secure in salvation, praying in the spirit at all times? This means, like I said before, praying in other tongues. Today, to help us reflect to help us understand that we're not to forget Jesus' sacrifice. And we're not to forget, lest we forget, as the word would say, lest we forget. Lest we forget what God has done for us. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Lest we forget. That's where lest we forget is actually taken from. Do you understand that it's a biblical term? Lest we forget. That's why we take communion. Lest we forget the advantages that we have in Christ. Lest we forget today the sacrifices of the martyrs that have gone before us, lest we forget what Jesus has won for us. We're going to take a moment. We're going to hear the bugle ring out across our church. In the words of Her Majesty the Queen, Queen Elizabeth, and as quoted this morning by Prime Minister Scott Morrison, this is how fresh it is. This is what our Queen wrote. The last post is our awakening and rededication, our reminder of the standards for which we should all share when we are called upon to do our duty. May we continue to be strengthened by the duty and example and memory of all who have served and continue to serve, lest we forget. I think they are powerful words for the Christian church. I think they are powerful words for this body. And while the last post signifies a, a go in peace to those who have fallen and it signifies the end of the day, we also have, um, I'll get this word wrong, the Reviel, which is the signification of a new day dawn. And it's time for action. 
And it's time to get up and be ready for war. And that's how the bugle will sound out today. The reminder of those who have fallen. A one minute silence for you to do business with Jesus. And the trumpet sound or the bugle sound of its call, the call to action or the call to be awake. So let us finish this service today with this moment in the presence of our God. They have no grave but the cruel sea. No flower lays at their heads. A rusting hulk is their tombstone, a fast on the ocean bed. They shall grow not old, as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them.